just a man. Give it up for the Lord. Come on now. Amen. I love that we got a rocking Pastor Rick. I like that. Rocking for the Lord a long time, Pastor. Amen, amen. Let's just bow our heads. Let's, uh, let's feast around the word this morning. Father, thank you for, this, for, for your people. I thank you for each and every person represented here because it's a testimony of your salvation, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love. Even as Pastor Rick said, the places that you went to save us, to search us out, and to bring us into your fold, and we thank you for that. Thank you for keeping us in times of uncertainty, of craziness, of just uh, a tumult. But you're with us, and you're strengthening us, and you're leading us. You're our good shepherd. And so we bless you, and we praise you, and we ask as, we, as the word goes forth to, today, let it hit good, good ground and let it produce good fruit, and let it produce fruit not only that remains, but that is shared by those who are hungry for truth, and most of all, for Jesus. Amen and amen. Can you imagine being Jesus? You're here on the earth. You're in the flesh. You're teaching people with authority. You're healing people with all kinds of sicknesses. You're commanding. You're commanding the lame to walk. You're opening blind eyes, deaf ears, mute tongues. You're casting out demons. You're raising the dead. And still, the crowd has no clue of who you are. Who is this guy? Even his disciples, he's on the boat and he says to the winds and the waves, shut up! Be still, quiet. And they said, who is this guy? It's head scratching. His family looks to take charge of him because they think he's lost his mind. Leaders t say, he, you're demon-possessed. If this is how they treated Jesus then, when he was physically here, is it any wonder people still have misconceptions of who he is today? If he was there in the flesh, by the way, congratulations, guys. You got married yesterday. Amen, amen. Husband and wife. But think about that. If, if people couldn't understand who Jesus was and he was, and he was here, how do they, how can they, the, mis, how, the misperception, the misconception of who he is still remains on the earth today. And so sometimes when we share Jesus, Sometimes people just give you a blank stare or they tell you who they perceive Jesus to be. 
Well, I think Jesus is this. And I think Jesus is that. And if when Jesus was here, people didn't understand them, the task is still before us to help people to understand who Jesus really is. See, the church today is, we're going through some growing pains, and it should. Because a church that doesn't go through growing pains is either a stagnant church, a stale church, or a dead church. And so the church of God, the church that is pursuing the Lord, is going through growing pains. Because the era of, comf comfort the era of being comfortable is over. See, when we got comfortable, we got complacent, and there was no difference between us than the world. We drove our fancy cars, we wore our fancy clothes, we lived in our fancy house, we worshiped in a fancy church, and everything was fancy, and, we were no, and there was no distinction between us and the world. And that era is coming to an end, and the church is going through growing pains, as it should, because we need to pursue the Lord. We need to we need to be able to, to have a distinction. It's even as my brother said, we need to be able to open the windows and let the aroma of the Lord out. But how can we have that aroma if we're not going through growing pains? And we see it, we see it uh, as, as the pandemic has hit and as um, the tides are in, the, in the nation and around the world has changed. The church not has to change with the world. The church has to pursue God and change according to God's standards, not the world's standards. See, as the world grows darker, we need more of his light. As the world becomes more perverse, we need more of his purity. As the world loses sight of who Jesus is, we need to see him clearer. See, my desire here today, really my, always my desire for not only for gospel center, but for the church, for the church that uh, is alive and pursuing pursuing God. My desire for the church is that um, and is that we move in what's called revelation relevancy. And it sounds like a new concept, but this is what the Holy Spirit gave me. I want to see my church moving in revelation relevancy. Now I'm going to kind of break that down for you in just a minute. But if we can't be relevant to a lost generation, then we can't reach them. See, it's not that we're better than them. We're just like them. We're just cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I still have the same flesh. I still have my own attitudes, my own faults, my own failures. But I, and, and in those things, it allows me to relate to someone else because... I'm only a sinner saved by grace, and I'm trying to offer you the same hope and same salvation. He saved me out of the muck and mire. Sure, he saved me out of drug addiction and all the other stupid things that I was involved in. Yes, he saved me, but the thing is that that doesn't raise me above anybody else that allows me to have releva revelation relevancy. See, maybe you're going through, there's, there's a pain in your life today, and it's not your husband, it's not your wife, and it's not your kids, maybe the dog or the cat, but that's about it. But see, when, you, when God allows you to go through a particular thing and it's a painful thing, it's for revelation relevancy. Basically, what it is is that 
during the time of your trial and pain and, or temptation or whatever it is, God begins to reveal himself, and then he begins to strengthen you, and then he begins to bring you through it. And then when he brings you through it, he turns around and says, okay, now go tell that person about what just happened in your life and how I brought you through it. That's revelation relevancy. See, because then someone says, wow, I can relate. Wow, God did that for you? Yeah. Do you think he'll do it for me? If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Revelation relevancy. See, the church tries to throw things on like, you know, where what they throw on us now is we're you know, terrorists and uh, radic radicals. Well, I, the radical part I'll take. I want to be radical for Jesus. Yes, I, I want to be a radical. You know what I'm saying? I'll take that part. You know, fundamentalist. I'll take the fun part. You can have the mental part. Because I like having fun in church. I like having fun, period. One thing, Pastor Rick, one thing we've had in all these 33 years is fun. We have. If you've heard some of our phone conversations, just 15 minutes is spent laughing. The other, who knows what, is getting to what we wanted to talk about. But we don't serve a stale, old, crudgy, mean, I want to get you God. We serve a God that laughs and has fun. Sings, rejoices, you know? Heaven isn't going to be a boring place where we're going to sit in a classroom and learn about Jesus, right? It's going to be a fun place. That's why we want to get there. But it's my desire for the church, the church of today, to move in revelation relevancy. See, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied, using the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He said, this is who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's trying to make a straight path for you to follow me so that we can find the Lord. That's basically it. What was he doing? He said, this is who I am. I'm giving you revelation relevancy of what I, why I'm you know, wearing camel hair clothes, eating bugs, and baptizing people in the wilderness. I'm trying to make a straight path for us to get to God. I love the sound of baby sounds. See, like I said, we got, we got comfortable in a comfortable world, and it's no longer comfortable, and that's good. Now that the winds have shifted and the crazies are running the asylum, boys can go into girls' bathroom. Boys who identify as women can participate in women's sports. And the list goes on. The crazies are running the asylum. Men can have babies. No thanks. <laughs> right. No thanks. Women, thank you. I see that ouch, and you do a wonderful job because that's the way God wired you. It's your job, and we love you for it. 
And it's your gift that God gave to you. Rejoice in it and be blessed in it and don't let anybody take it away from you. See, the people of God need to become more relevant to those hungry for reality. See, as people begin to confuse and confound people, people are getting, well, it's like, what's up, what's down, what's left, what's right, what's north, what's south? What's real? There are going to be people asking for reality in an insane world. And we need to be able to be those that give revelation reality, revelation relevancy to people today. If you will, I want to talk to you today about four truths the world needs today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says here, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Amen. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. So four relevant things that we need to see today through God's word is, first of all, we got to know what the word is on the street. See, when Jesus said, um, what, do the, what do the people say that I am? Basically, if you want to go with today's vernacular, he would say to them, hey, guys, what's the word on the street? See, it, we, we can't bury our heads in the sand. We can't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We can't be so religious that we become irrelevant to our neighbors, our co-workers, and the lost. We have to be real people. So Jesus says to them, you know, what's the word on the street? What are the people saying about me? Well, they, and he says, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Some say you're one of the prophets. That was the word on the street. And so when we have to understand how do people perceive Jesus today? What's the word on the street? Some would say, well, he was a, a historical figure. He lived long ago and then he died. He was a historical figure. You know, he, he was a part of history and then that part of history ended and so did he. Some would say he was a nice man. He did good things for people but look where it got him. Nice guys finished last, and he finished dead last. Some would say, well, he was, a, he was a religious man. He pointed the way. He was kind of like Gandhi. And he was killed for what he taught, same as Gandhi. He was just a religious figure, just a religious teacher. 
Some would say, well, he was a good teacher. He told a lot of good stories. And he, he did. He was a good storyteller. Some would say he was a homosexual. In some circles today, people think that Jesus was a homosexual. The Guardian newspaper, April 20th, 2012, Paul Ostreicher, preaching on Good Friday on the last words of Jesus as he was being executed, makes great spiritual demands on the preacher. The Jesuits began this tradition. Many Anglican churches adopted it. Faced with this privilege in New Zealand's capital city, Wellington, my second home, I was painfully aware of the context. A church deeply divided worldwide over issues of gender and sexuality. Suffering was my theme. I felt I could not escape the suffering of gay and lesbian people at the hands of the church over many centuries. Was that divisive issue a subject for Good Friday? For the first time in my ministry, I felt it had to be. Those last words of Jesus would not, would not let me escape. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. That disciple was John, whom, Je whom Jesus, the, the gospels affirm, loved in a special way. All the other disciples had fled in fear. Three women, but only one man, had the courage to go with Jesus to his execution. That man clearly had a unique place in the affection of Jesus. In all classic depictions of the Last Supper, a favorite subject of Christian art, Jesus, um, John is next to Jesus. Very often, his head resting on Jesus' chest, or as it says here, breast. Dying, Jesus asked John to look after his mother and ask his mother to accept John as her son. John takes Mary home. John becomes unmistakably part of Jesus' family. Jesus was a Hebrew rabbi. Unusually, he was unmarried. The idea that he had a romantic relationship with Mary Magdalene is stuff of fiction, based on no biblical evidence. The evidence, on the other hand, that he may have been what we today call gay is very strong. But even gay rights campaigners in the church have been reluctant to suggest it. A significant exception was Hugh Montefiore, Bishop of Birmingham and a convert from a prominent Jewish family. He dared to ask that possibility, and he was met with disdain, as though he were simply out, of, out to shock. After much reflection and with certainty no wish to shock, I felt I was left with no opinion but to suggest for the first time in half a century of my angelical priesthood, angelican priesthood, that Jesus may have been a homosexual. He had been devoid of sexuality. Had he been devoid of sexuality, he would not have been truly human. To believe that would have been heretical. To believe what this man just wrote is absolutely heretical. For Jesus to have been a homosexual meant that Jesus became a sinner and him dying on the cross was of absolutely no value to us. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he sinned not. So you can say, yes, Jesus was probably tempted with homosexuality, but he did not. Do you understand what I'm saying? He did not give in. Was Jesus a homosexual? Absolutely not. Was he tempted with it? Yes. Why? Because he needs to be the deliverer of people that are struggling with homosexuality. He has to be their answer. 
So to say something like that is absolutely blasphemous. But it's as Jesus said, what's the word on the street? So we need to know the word on the street. When somebody says something like this, you need to be able to have an answer for them. And it has to be relevant. It has to be revel revelation relevancy. We need to be able to minister to anyone in any place in their life with the revelation of who Jesus really was. See, a relevant question from Jesus challenges us to confront and to dispel heresy. Number two, you have to know that you are a force to be reckoned with. I want to let you know something. You're not weak. You're not weak. And I'm not talking physically, physically strong, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. You say, well, I, I, you know, I have a, a, a quiet, timid person. You're not weak. The Bible says that he has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. You are not weak. The Bible says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, you are not weak. The Bible says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall happen for you. You are not weak. See, the devil wants you to think that because you wrestle with sin or wrestle with this or wrestle with that, and sometimes it overcomes you that you're weak. No, you're not weak. You're vulnerable. That's not weakness. We're all vulnerable to sin any time, any moment, any given day of the week. We have that vulnerability. We live in this flesh. It's cursed. It's fallen, and we struggle with it. We'll struggle with it from the moment we're born to the moment we die. After that, we put on glory, and it's over. Now, I'm not rushing to the coffin. Don't get, don't get me wrong here. It's a future hope. He overcame the temptation of the flesh. But we have, we have that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We are strong. And we're a force to be reckoned with. See, he spoke to Peter, and I remember, Peter was not perfect. Peter had a lot of faults. Peter was, had a lot of pride, too. Ah, these guys are going to run away from you, but me, I'm going to stick with you to the end. And, Peter said, and Jesus says to him, yeah, when the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me before the, roast, the ro roaster. Mm, I'm already hungry. <laughs> Woo! What time is it? All right, anyway, it's time for second breakfast. He says, before the rooster crows three times, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But what did he say? He said, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to be able to conquer it. You have to understand something. That's the same as who you are. The gates of hell will not conquer you. You're going to conquer the gates of hell. And you got to start living that way. You're not defeated. You're victorious. You're not cast down. He's lifted you up. 
You're not unclean. You're clean. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. You're not unrighteous. You're righteous. You're clothed in his righteousness. You're strong. Oh, if, if only the devil would leave me alone. Right? I should get a walk. If only the devil would leave me alone. I'd have a better, you know. I know I do. Well, I'm 60 in two days, so I'm practicing. But anyway. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Stop walking around defeated. Stop worrying about what the devil's doing and start telling him who he is, what he is, how defeated he is, how he lost, and who Jesus is in your life. It's upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. Yeah, you'll fall. Yeah, you'll, you'll stumble. Yeah, you'll fail. But then we go to him and we say, just like Pastor Rick said, forgive me and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cleanse me. Thank you for the blood. Wash me. Forgive me. And then guess what? Remember, what does he say? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now turn around and tell the devil he's a liar. I'm not... I'll never get this Christianity walk right. It's just not going to work. It just doesn't work for me. That's putrid. It stinks in the nostrils of God. He didn't go to the cross in weakness. He went to the cross in obedience. Obedience is strength. Anyone can disobey. It takes character. It takes strength. It takes purpose to be obedient. And then to be nailed to the cross and have a thief say to you, remember me when you enter your paradise. And to turn to that man and say, say remember me when you enter your kingdom. And to turn to that man and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Take strength to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It takes strength when you're in the garden and your enemies are at you. And somebody, somebody, one of your friends goes and attacks and he turns around and says, don't you think I can call 12 legions of angels and end this? Take strength to hold back the, the, army of, the army of God. The angels were ready. Take strength. And you have that strength. Confess it. Look at, you, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm strong in the Lord. And keep saying it till you believe it. You're not defeated. You have overcome. You're an overcomer. The church is strong. It's not weak. The world wants to say we're irrelevant. The world wants to say we're weak. The world wants to say we're hypocritical. The world is a liar, same as the devil. Yeah. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. That's a strong statement. And you need to confess it over your life. No matter what Satan throws at you, stand firm by the faith of his word. Do those things. I want to talk to you today. I want you to know. I want to show you a, a quick clip here about that you're a force to be reckoned with. You got two minutes and 15 seconds, all right? Be patient. Work for the good shot. You got it? Team! Let's go, guys. Come on. Let's go, Steph. Let's go. 
God wants you on the floor. Strength in the dribble, all right? God wants you on the floor. See, God wants you in the game. God wants you to use who you are for who he made you to be with the gifts he's given you to live your life, live it for God, live it strong, and let the glory of God flow through you. God has gifted you for who you are. You're unique. So God would say to you, get in the game. Don't worry about what other people say about you. Don't compare your gifts to, to my gifts. Don't compare yourself to somebody, well, I wish I was like that person. You have no idea what, the hell, what that person's even going through. Every, all of us put on, put on a, you know, throw on a little cologne and we're feeling fine. But do you understand what I'm saying? Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Jesus died for you personally. And he gifted you personally so that he can use you personally. And what he wants to say to you today is get on the floor, get in the game, and get going with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I don't have a testimony. Sure you do. You have a testimony. My testimony isn't about drugs. My That's an old testimony. I have a new testimony. And I'm going to share it in just a moment. But what has God done for you recently not what he's done for you in the past. Now, sure, my past is relevant. My past, but of more revelation relevancy is what is he doing today? Amen? Amen. So, know that you're a force to be weckoned with. Waskily wabbit. Let God display his glory through the you he made you to be. Let God Open your window. Let God display his glory through the you he made you to be. Amen? Amen. You have to know who Jesus is in your today. When he says to them, you know, but who do you say that I am? When Jesus says, who, who do you say that I am? See, that's a, a good question. See, if Jesus were to come to you today and say, who do you say that I am? Are you going to give a, a, a religious answer or are you going to give a real answer? See, well, you can say, well, you know, Peter gave a relevant answer. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. Uh, amen. That was, that was revelation because Jesus even said, that didn't come by you. That came by my father who revealed it to you. That's revelation relevancy. If Jesus were to come to you today and say, but who, who do you say that I am? What would your response be to that question today? What attribute of Jesus was relevant to you this week? Did you need his mercy? He's rich in it. Did you need healing? He's the great healer. Did you do you have a tangible, 
unmet need. You've been praying for something to be met. You're waiting for this need to be met. You're petitioning the Father for it. Understand he's your great provider. Do you need a miracle? Do you need a miracle? There's something in your life that the only way that this is going to happen if God performs a miracle, if a miracle happens, this is, this is going to be, it's, it's only going to happen through a miracle. I just recently bought a house. Now, I want to share this with you because sometimes when I say don't compare yourself to others, we sometimes do it, and I've done it myself too. I would look at people, and they had their homes and their things like that. They bought the house. They worked on and I would say, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll never get that. No, 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 aw. I'm not going to get that. I, that's just, you know, um, it's just not for me. You know, and, um, so, and, and so I lived my life believing my own lie. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so then a year ago when the coronavirus hit, Jill says, you know, we should, we should go, we should buy a house. I'm like, we got $4.50 in the bank. <laughs> buy a house. All right. <laughs> so we went and looked at a house. We just went and looked, you know, kind of, well, let's go look at a house. So we went and looked, and then we, we got a real little, we went in the house. And we're like, wow, this house is great. Look at all the, oh. and then we'll make an offer. So I'm thinking, I'm going to make such a ridiculous offer because we're not ready to buy a house. And so I made this ridiculous offer, and they accepted it. <laughs> no, 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 well, that's not the house I bought. Getting a little bit ahead of my, my story here. Then we're like, oh. Like, and, and, and then all of a sudden, everybody comes out of the woodwork because, oh, well, you got to sign the page. you got to do this. I'm like, we don't have money. So then we ticked off the people that um, showed us the house. What would you put an offering for? Because you asked me to. I don't know how this thing works. So we, we went home. We kind of licked our wounds. We're like, all right, you know, well, maybe this isn't for us, you know. You know, look, you know, we're struggling. You know, we're just like people. We're just struggling. You know, maybe it's, it's too late in the game. Well, six months go by, and all of a sudden, Jill says again, we need to buy a house. So I said, okay. We've got 225 in the bank now. <laughs> it's coronavirus. We're going, we've blown through our money. You wouldn't believe it. So I said, okay, let's do it. Remember, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it'll be done for you. Okay. So we go and we start house shopping. Now, you know, da, 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 da. all of a sudden, somebody comes up to him and says, here, $2,500. What's this for? God told me to give it to you. And all of a sudden, money starts following us. Yes, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed. You can say to the mountain, what was my mountain? I'll never. But if you say, be thou cast and be thou removed, it'll be done for you. And so all of a sudden, we start having, 
our bank account starts growing. And we're like, wow. And we're, so we're, we're, now we're like really excited to go look at it, and we're putting bids in, you know, blah, 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 you know. And then saw a house, and I was like, wow, I like this house, right? And so we put our bid in, and the person said, and then two days later, come back and say, well, you were outbid. And I was like, that's my house. Nope, that's my house. I was at church here, and I was, I was in my gut, I was angry. And that's a big, this is a lot of anger. <laughs> I was angry. I was like, that's my house. And then I mem- remember Jill saying, well, we got to move on. No, I'm not moving on. That's our house. So I started, so I prayed. Father, that's our house. That's the house you gave us. These people are in our way. Get them out of the way. Two days later, the people call. Oh, the p- other people dropped out. Your, your bid has been accepted. Amen? I hope that was revelation relevancy for somebody in this room today. Do you understand what I'm saying? you got to give fresh bread to people, not stale bread. See, I could talk about drug addiction 30 years ago. It's a little stale. Who wants to eat 30-year-old bread? <laughs> no. You want something fresh. You want a nice fresh bread dumping in the gravy. <laughs> right? You want something you can sink, sink your teeth into. And that's what it takes. It takes letting God do something that's so blows your hair back, it falls off. You want God to do something so awesome that you couldn't do it for yourself that you have a new testimony. Amen? That's revelation relevancy. God doesn't care what you don't have. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the heavens and the earth. He owns it all. You're not poor, you're rich. You don't need money in the bank. You just need to have faith the size of a mustard seed, or you need to go, okay, let's go look. You need to take a step. Was I afraid? Yeah. Was I like, I don't know how how this is going to work out. You know, what happens if the economy tanks? What You know, you start asking, but you know what? There were what-if questions, but I didn't allow them to stop or hinder what God was doing in our home. Now, my wife came up with the idea. I didn't say, oh, no, I've got to shut that down. See, if God would have brought it to me, guess what? I would have shut it down. That's why he gave me a partner. And through, I was like, yeah, okay, let's go through. Let's see what happens. Amen. And here we are. You know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a new place. And that's, that's the relevancy of God. That, that's what God did. He did it for us. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. With $2.25 in the bank. <laughs> Lastly, I want to bring something to you. This is, this is awesome. When I saw it yesterday, I was like, wow. He says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you understand that? That God gave you keys? See, I'm a custodian. I'm like, I'm like the, the key master. <laughs> the gatekeeper. God says, I have given you. <laughs> I've given you, you. You have a key to heaven. You have a key to unlock heaven and to bind on earth, and it will be bound in heaven. You can loose on earth 
and it'll be loose in heaven. You have a key. You have keys. Keys to the kingdom. Keys to heaven. You know, when I go out in my house and I put the key in and unlock the door, it's like, I was like, wow. When I saw that, when I heard God say, I was like, double wow. Like, you gave us keys? I'm going to ask you something. When was the last time you used your key? Drop the keys. When was the last time you bound something on earth for God to bind in heaven? When was the last time you loosed something on earth so that it would be loosed in heaven? Maybe your kids or your grandkids or somebody in your life is going through something so tumultuous and we're just standing there and we're being witnesses to it. And we forgot that God said, I gave you the key to heaven. You can bind on earth and it'll be bound in heaven, and you can, you can bind the devil, and God binds him. You can lose healing, and God will loose it. You can lose words on your children, and God will loose those words in heaven. You know, we hear, ah, you know, you'll never amount to anything. That's, those words are powerful, and sometimes people amount to nothing. God, that's, you know what I'm saying? That's the power of words. God's given you that authority to speak blessings over your children, prosperity over your children, blessings over your home, blessings over your wife, blessings over your husband, blessings over your house. Now, when I'm talking, I'm talking blessings. We don't have to be, you know, and it's, sometimes it's not monetary. When I say blessings, you just prosper. Your soul prospers. You, there's things in your life. We need to not drop our keys. We need to learn how to use our keys. When was the last time the church used its keys? The church that embraces political correctness. The church that embraces social justice. The church that, brace, that embraces critical race theory. The church that embraces alternative lifestyle theology, the same person that said Jesus was a homosexual. No authority, no power, no relevancy. No way to snatch people out of the fires of hell. No authority. And so we have to learn to take our keys and use them. Because if Jesus said, I've given you the keys of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We need to loosen the Holy Spirit. We need to loosen the, the angelic beings. We need to start taking some authority and start kicking some demonic butt around this, around this nation, around, our, around our, our state, around our county, around our neighborhood. We need to start loosening things and binding things and seeing changes happen. we got to start using our key. Otherwise, we're no different than anybody else who's preaching a doctrine not associated with Jesus Christ. We can't, go, we can't have a, be relevant and have relevant, revelation relevancy if we're not taking what he says and doing what he says. And if he says, I've given you the key to heaven to open up and to, to bind and to loose, then we need to start using our keys again. Amen? Amen. God gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we have to use them. Lastly, 
In Matthew 28, Jesus said this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He has all authority. You don't serve a weak God and you're not a weak person. He gave us keys to unlock heaven and earth. He said he'll be with us to the very end. Let us be relevant to the seeker who is hungry for God. Amen? Amen. Pastor.